Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever Dog Comic books, comic time Writers and artists are on the line They make a splash as a comic's red And take us on a trip behind the spread Watch out for comic book commentary Spinning a winning inside Fix how they got a hot idea Narrative, character, visual tricks And onomatopoeia Uh-huh It's comic book commentary Hello, this is Dan Waters, uh, writer of Lucifer for Vertigo's Sandman Universe, uh, Deep Roots at Vault Comics, and Limbo at Image Comics. And Ben has kindly invited me on today to talk about Coffinbound, which is uh, a new book which, at time of recording, is coming out the following Wednesday, which is August 7th. Um, uh, And it's... A grindhouse horror thriller thing uh, co-created with Danny, who's this wonderful Greek artist, uh, and coloured by Brad Simpson, lettered by Aditya Bidikar, and designed by Emma Price, uh, who are all wonderful people and a wonderful team, and I'm very excited for people to get their hands on it next week, or this week, I guess, when you're listening to this. Um, so I guess there's nothing to do other than jump into the book. Uh, inside front cover starts with uh, a Kafka quote, because if you're going to go pretentious, go full hog. Uh, and the quote says, uh, my last request, everything I leave behind me to be burned unread, uh, which I've included in the book as it very much sort of summed up the premise of our book. Um, this letter was part, uh, it was part of a letter that uh, Kafka wrote to his friend Max Brod, who was the executor of his estate after he died. Uh, and it's a thing that still sort of throws up moral quandaries um, with reading Kafka because... Kafka asked his friend to destroy all of his unpublished works, which at the time of his death was almost everything that he'd written, and he did not do that. Max Brod did not do that. He instead slowly and then more quickly as it picked up popularity, um, published everything Kafka had left um, unpublished and that he hadn't burnt himself, um, including sort of the trial and the castle and the sort of big works <coughs> that had... Uh, 
Kafka had done nothing with in his lifetime. Uh, and it would be a crying shame not to have those works in the world, but we do so against the author's wishes, which is a strange sort of double-bind quandary, which is very sort of Kafkaian, if not Kafkaesque, um, in itself. And Coffinbound, the book, is about our book, is about um, a woman who is told an unstoppable hitman is set on her trail, and her response to that is to try and road trip back through her own life and destroy everything that she's left behind. It's a sort of fit of peak where she decides she's going to erase herself from the world since it refuses to have her in her uh, have her in it. So the first page of the book proper uh, opens with this nice big sort of half splash of uh, what we will soon learn is Izzy's house and the strange things that reside outside it. Uh, Sort of, we never really talk about them too much in the book, but these sort of totems and... Uh, protectors that she she builds out of mannequin parts and animal bones and this very sort of um, I think primal urge she has to sort of create these kind of things which are then the things she is going to try and remove um, but these are also very very much Danny things it was the kind of things we, we, we started working on because uh, as with most image books the first bunch of pages in here started out as our pitch but like with all books they were also us feeling our way into the world so there's a lot of sort of uh, choices and things made right at the beginning here which shape the things to come so we sort of start with this <clears throat> this this overview of the house but it, it also gives us starts to give us insight into who Izzy our protagonist is so we sort of scan through these objects in this house um, pretty silently until she starts to wake up so you know it's pretty important to start a book with um, a nice big bombastic opening line and ours is N. that's the letter N three times with a full stop so you know definitely one for the ages um, she then wakes and she finds uh, opposite her the vulture <coughs> which is uh, a character I adore he is a vulture skeleton uh, set inside an anthropomorphic robot body, uh, all sort of rusted and beaten up, and he's pretty terrifying, but also quite friendly. Uh, and the first conversation they have is about uh, the curtains and why he's opened them, which he insists is just because it's daytime. Uh, so turning over the page two and three, I suppose, um, we get right into the, uh, the meat of the story in that he informs her that she is being hunted by the Earth Eater, um, who is an unstoppable hitman that she's clearly heard of as well. Um, and she pretty readily accepts uh, the appearance of the vulture to begin with and um, that this thing is on her trail. Which I suppose is why a lot of people um, have sort of come into this book and been very quick to talk about it as surrealist or dreamlike. And that sort of surprised me a little bit at first, which I suppose it shouldn't really have, because I suppose it kind of is. Uh, but from where I was approaching it, this is uh, a woman who has sort of accepted uh, the absurdity of the universe uh, and the strangeness of it and how 
it will throw surprises at you and disappointments at you at every turn so she's kind of past caring if it is going to follow any very strict logic and she's quite happy to build and follow her own meaning rather than uh, expect it because the world is an absurd place and it does throw curveballs at us non-stop and the important thing is to get on and deal with it i suppose um so the next thing that happens at the end of page three is oh yeah there's a, a group of thugs who show up with a litany of rifles and machine guns and things uh very much clearly spoiling uh for a fight which uh, as we turn over the page four uh, they very much get, and um, we get uh, a shootout between these three thugs and Izzy with Vulture um, sort of sitting out on the sideline uh, as as he is sort of want to as a creature that may or may not be corporeal or a figment of someone's imagination or just a bird and a skeleton, uh, a bird and a robot, rather. Um, I think my favourite panel on this page is panel five, uh, in which after we get a lot of sort of big shooting blams and blums from um, SFX from uh, Aditya, uh, we then get uh, Izzy's return shot, and instead of um, instead of getting an SFX of, of her shooting, she says bang as she fires, um, which I don't know. I, I just like it. It's a nice little touch. Um, I don't think it was in the original script, uh, but Editor is a wizard and does wonderful, wonderful things, and it works so very well. Um, <clears throat> carrying on to page six. Yeah, she... Was that page six? I've lost count already. No, five. Okay. Uh, page five, she has um, retaliated. She's done a pretty good job of retaliating, um, but then her gun collapses, uh, which we learned is something that regularly happens because... Like most things she has, like most things in this world, to be honest, um, it's pretty rusted and broken and just about pottering along and it pretty much works until it doesn't. Um, we also wanted to make it pretty clear that this wasn't some sort of book in which everyone has these wild martial arts skills or is super well trained and impressive at all given time so as she shoots it sort of she clips people she catches people and she's gotten pretty lucky here rather than being some expert marksman which was i think pretty important for this kind of book it's not about being sleek and pretty and impressive it's about entropy and the death of all things so uh, Izzy is far more on that end of the spectrum uh, so she uh, instead um, whacks a guy with a brick and over the page we get our first uh, appearance of the Earth Eater uh, which is a lot of fun because he's the sort of um, strangely dressed shall we say um, quasi-supernatural uh, hitman able to discern where his prey have been by consuming soil uh, and letting the earth tell him by its tincture and taste uh, where his quarry is and we introduce him with some quite big bombastic language which was very fun uh, to come up with and to write and to see once again Aditya sort of um, rip it large in the big wonderful captions uh, and page 7 is where we get our first big statement of intent where Vulture says to her this thing has happened or this thing is going to happen the Earth Theater is on your trail uh, what are you going to do about it 
and she says um, she starts to tell him the story of an old man uh, which takes us over the page as she as she douses her house in gasoline she tells the story of this old man uh, Vladimir who she met she met by the railway tracks who was burning pictures of his children uh, in order to stop remembering them um, we might presume some past tragedy or perhaps something else maybe we'll find out but he's burning these pictures to get rid of the pain um, and he delivers a line which I would say is sort of the one of my favourite for the book I think there's a good chance the trade may end up with that title which is um, Happy Ashes so having destroyed the photo nothing is left except Happy Ashes um, leading us up to page 10 where she has now burnt down her house and I think at this point we've had the uh, this this opening scene or scenes uh, depending on how we want to look at it are um, pretty much our, our, our statement of intent going forward it's she's going to destroy everything that she's left behind or she will she will leave nothing behind because she will destroy it um and leave no trace of herself on the earth uh, she will leave nothing but happy ashes um which also means of course that um in the art we have burnt down the uh, house with all of izzy's stuff um which danny painstakingly and beautifully designed and sent me so many roughs for and i'm so sorry daddy um but all of those things uh, let us work out who she was, let us work out what this world was. Um, so I think they, they serve the purpose beyond longevity, uh, which is, I think, again, um, something that this book is about. Uh, things don't become worthless uh, just because they've ended or just because there's no um, evidence of them. Uh, things matter in the moment, um, you know, relationships. Um, 200 years ago are not now worthless they might not be worth anything to people round and about today uh, but at the time they were important and that's kind of all we could ever hope for isn't it um, anyway uh, pontificating aside let's move I'm losing track of my pages again what's that sorry speak amongst yourselves Uh, okay, next scene, uh, pages 10, 11, um, we get the first appearance of Izzy's manager, Ben. Um, Vulture does ask him, uh, ask Izzy what Ben manages um, in particular uh, after he phones her and her response is uh, he manages to make it through each day as it comes. Um, so we're not entirely sure what he does just yet, what he does for her. Um, but hey, that's the, the joy of stories, right? Is the leaving the mysteries wide open. Uh, we also do get uh, the first appearance of his chainsaw and as I'm I'm sure we're all uh, aware those tend to be put to um, good use in these kind of grindhouse uh, stories um, and used for things that they were not designed for and I think in fact the manufacturers warn against um, on the on the packaging uh, when you buy these sort of things but uh, yes things to come uh, oh, and the next scene which takes us up to the issue's halfway point is one that people have already been talking about a fair bit from sort of previews we've dropped online and people who've read advanced copies uh, as we find this place um, somewhat far away from, from Izzy and the things we've seen before. 
um, and for which Brad bought in a, a whole new sort of far more neon color palette uh, which works so very well for this sort of thing and is maybe the kind of palette we expect going into this kind of book to begin with and up to now it's been very muted and it's been oranges and purples and yellows and that's part of the thing I love about Brad's colors on this book is that he uses these sort of washed out gritty heavily textured uh, tones that um, are not the obvious ones at all um, to put on top of Danny's lines I think um, to be honest but they work so very well um, Danny and I spent a lot of time talking about who we wanted to color this book uh, and then when I came across Brad and I worked with Brad in another project um, he became a really clear choice to me and when I showed him to Danny she uh, she 100% agreed So, uh, yeah, shout out to Brad. And in this scene, uh, these neon colors draw us into this, um, into the teardrop dancer, which is, as is now explained to us, uh, essentially uh, an existential strip club. Uh, so it's, um, it looks like a pretty normal strip club. It's, um, it's got girls, it's got poles, it's got punters, um, but the thing that might set it slightly apart is that um, the dancers are not stripping down to their skin, but they are instead stripping uh, their skin off altogether. Uh, leaving them um, with exposed muscle and gristle and sort of laying, uh, lavishly, lovingly laying uh, their skin uh, across across the punters, um, which sort of game came about from the idea of trying to chop up your own life or trying to sort of take what's human and reduce it to the objects of a life, which is pretty much what uh, Izzy's trying to do. And this is kind of a different take on that, which is reducing a person to to the objects that a person is made out of, to the skin and the bone and the muscle and sinew and the gristle and uh, yeah, that that rather the taking a taking a object of desire and turning it into objects proper and sort of reminding um, reminding us that there's a mechanism to it all underneath um, a sort of reminder of mortality and the idea that this would be uh, rather than a sexual release this would be uh, a sort of existential catharsis um, yeah that happens and following that we're introduced to Paulie who is Paulie Starlight uh, the proprietor of this club who is um, another character that I think Danny uh, excelled herself with designing um, he's a lot subtler than, than Vulture um, but the sort of heart tattoo over one nipple um, really kind of sets me off it's, I think it's delightful uh, and really funny for some reason uh, and Paulie is a poet, uh, he, as he will tell you uh, very, very quickly upon meeting him. Uh, he writes poetry and runs this club and, uh, as we quickly learn, is something uh, of an ex of Izzy's, um, which... Um, is not necessarily a good thing because as we find out very quickly he's slightly unhinged as poets are want to be 
um, as on the next page, he uh, immediately throws uh, a statue out of the window on learning that uh, his underlings have gone to visit Izzy. Uh, in, at which point, the joint, the, the dots are probably starting to join, and that these are the ones who um, Izzy has uh, quite um, recently dispatched uh, with bullets and a brick. Um, Moving on. Uh, oh yes, and Paulie learns that the Earth Eater is is on her trail, and he decides that him and his men are, are going to go uh, very quickly save Izzy. Um, which let's hope they do, and then uh, we can sort of have this whole thing over and done with very very quickly. Um, elsewhere, we sort of slow down on the next page, which is what page eighteen or up to already. Um, we slow things down a little bit as um, Izzy and Vulture's car, which is actually the car of the thugs, Paulie's thugs, which um, they conveniently left her uh, at the beginning of the issue, having no more need for it, being um, naught but bone and ash in the burning wreckage of Izzy's house. Um, and this is where um, we get a bit of a breather and they get out of a natural, uh, a bit of a conversation. Um, and I think this is the point at which Vulture sort of realizes that Izzy isn't just fleeing, uh, isn't just fleeing Earth either, but she actually has a, a mission of her own. She has things she wants to destroy, but perhaps also things that she kind of wants to, um, she wants, she wants to, to, to lay to rest before she's gone. Uh, and he also discovers, um, a helmet, uh, on the back seat, which is, um, something Izzy has made and it's, uh, it's the head of a, a cassowary, but it's not, it's, it's metal, but it's the shape of a head of a cassowary. Uh, which is um, the bird which Danny uh, tells me is is the most lethal bird uh, on the planet. When we were developing the book, we spent a lot of time sort of sending each other pictures of, of sort of strange, strange things that... Um, that we wanted to incorporate however we could and a lot of that involved uh, pictures of birds or pictures of uh, headdresses and, and all these um, strange things these these um, fashion shoot things and models and these uh, just weird uncomfortable looking things that we both kind of adore and kind of uh, bonded over a, a mutual interest in, in the absurd and the grotesque um, and I just really like the idea that Izzy would wear this sort of bird helmet when she um, when she had to kill people because this is a cruel, uh, uncomfortable world uh, in which she lives uh, and which she is already pretty much done with um, at the point where um, she finds out Earth Eaters out to get her. Um, she was already living in isolation. She'd already cut herself off from the world. Um, and this is just another way of disconnecting herself uh, from her actions or from the world um, is to wear this sort of helmet when um, when bad shit has to go down essentially um she uh, also this is also the first mention we get of uh, the prophet cassandra which is the first stop on her journey which we'll dig into in a big way in issue two uh, in september but she does say here that uh, he is perhaps the person she fears to see more than she fears seeing um earth eater so all very ominous uh, very exciting hopefully um and she repairs the car and off they go um 
page 20 nearly there um, we check back in with the theater we check back in with some birds and um, he is looking at the remains of the uh, three thugs from the beginning of the issue in the remains of Izzy's house so he's already sort of very hot on her trail uh, and turning the page he is uh, looks he looks like he's going to be rather sl- slowed down by the appearance of uh, the bombastic irritant that is Paulie, um, who shows up with all of his men uh, at his side and with a big suitcase for the cash and um, some very big guns and tells the Earth Eater that he can accept one or the other, but um, he he has to call off his his hunt for Izzy. Uh, at which Earth Eater throws the slight curveball at Paulie that it was Paulie himself um, who hired hired him to begin with, um, which Paulie denies and uh, insists it was uh, the the muse, the poetical muse that um, sought to have Izzy be a, a dead muse, um, which would make his poetry better. Uh, Paulie being the kind of fella who probably has every excuse under the sun for why his poetry is not better um, which is the easiest kind of uh, artist to write because it means then when I do have to write any of his poetry uh, um, I can I can pass off its quality as, uh, as his own um, but yes uh, this scene sort of uh, reinforces the fact that the Earth Eater cannot be bought, he cannot be stopped he cannot be um, he cannot be uh, prevented from from reaching his goal. Um, he's not racing after Izzy, but he is going to get there. And uh, as far as as far as we're concerned, going into the book, as far as we're um, cons- as far as the book itself is concerned, um, this isn't the story of someone trying to escape death at all. Um, this is the story of of someone dealing with um, you know uh, mortality. So to have him be corruptible, to have him be um, in any way sort of uh, liable to leniency would would undermine the entire premise. Uh, so Earth Eater is very much coming for Izzy and there is nothing she can do about it. Um, as Paulie and his men learn when Earth Eater tires of being... Uh, distracted and uh, causes uh, an earthquake which uh, swallows them all um, and he heads off uh, following after Izzy Uh, and that brings us up to our very final scene uh, which is one that I actually rewrote quite a few times um, to try and get right uh, which is just a man sitting on the steps of uh, a garage uh, with a shotgun and talking to himself and what he says is he um, he tells uh, a prophecy and he tells a prophecy about uh, death <laughs> uh, the book keeping uh, its central theme pretty much present uh, at all times he talks about um, entropy as the natural state of all things uh, and he talks about how the next person he meets uh, will be his death that's the prophecy he gives out and Kind of, uh, kind of like Izzy. Um, he doesn't deliver with this with any particular, um, um, you know. He doesn't. He doesn't sort of scream and shout about it. But but he accepts it. Um, this is the sort of world um, we're dealing with. It's rusted. It's broken. It's it's entropic itself. 
um, it's been interesting watching the preview pages come out and hear people talk about what they think the book is because uh, the term post-apocalyptic's been thrown around a few times uh, which really wasn't the intent um, I think if it looks post-apocalyptic um, we might just need to reassess where we're at right now because you know these sort of burnt broken rundown places are all around us like right now we we don't need to wait for for these sort of landscapes to to appear upon us they're not something that that's coming they're something that's already here um and you know that that is the way of things um so he speaks of death uh, coming for him the next person he meets will be his death and then uh, Izzy turns up and calls him Cassandra uh, and as we turn the page to page I think it's 26 uh, which is our final splash um, we find them in each other's arms so there is far more going on here than hopefully we initially uh, expected between uh, Cassandra and, and Izzy um, which we will dig into next month not on this podcast but in the book um, so yeah we've got the first stop uh, on Izzy's road trip for her own life uh, we've got the first uh, meaningful relationship um, for her to try and um, extradite herself from and uh, going into the book the sort of philosophical question of whether you can remove yourself from the world whether you can sort of untangle yourself from other people's lives uh, I thought was a really interesting one it's part of the reason that I wanted to make this book so much I wanted to do it at Image where I could um, where me and Danny could sort of dig into that stuff without having to worry too much about um, any sort of editorial oversight or, or even have been uh, responsible to or for uh, anyone else um, it gave us a chance to just make this book as sort of strange and push it into the, the, the directions that interested us, uh, which I hope interests other people as well. Um, I think as a writer, you kind of have to hope that what interests you interests other people, because that's kind of the job, but uh, it's not always the job um, when working on licenses and working on bit when you're, when you're sort of entrusted, uh, when other people sort of entrust you with the care of, of things that they, things that they own or things that they're, they're the keepers of. Um, so Coffin Bound is very much us let loose and and seeing where that takes us and where that takes us is pretty much in the title uh, so that's the end of issue one that's the end of this recording uh, I very much hope you enjoy Coffin Bound uh, when it comes out I very much hope you pick it up um, and let me know what you think cheers forever dog this has been a forever dog production executive produced by Brett Boehm Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Engineered and mastered by Alex Sarche. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook. <laughs>